0: Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash.
1: Welcome to episode 49 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside uh, Frank Saravalli. And, uh, well, you can't see me, we're having some technical issues. Uh, Frank, of course, is live in the woodjerseys.com studio. He's got his lovely uh, Toronto Maple Leafs wood jersey. With them. And of course, you can rep your favorite team with this unique piece of wall art, the wooden jersey, really intricate. They got the brand new Seattle, and uh, they're going to have all the teams by the summer. So go there regularly. You can get one ordered. Makes sure your fan cave, any room in your house, your office, take it to the next level. Frank, how you doing?
2: I'm good. Busy week, busy weekend, and uh, lots more coming with free agency just under 48 hours away.
1: Cool. Oh. Yeah, there's lots going on, man. The I guess let's get to it. The Philadelphia Flyers, another big trade in the, in Jakub Voracek. And you know, I was crunching some numbers on Jakob Voracek, and in the last five years, he's got the 14th most assists in the National Hockey League. And uh, Patrick Laine has the 10th most goals. Like to me, uh, this seems like a marriage potentially made in heaven for these two. Laine needs a playmaker, and Voracek can definitely do that
2: yeah i think he's going to be sneaky good next year i've been saying that for the last couple of weeks uh that guy's got 60 plus points written all over him uh he actually had a pretty decent productivity wise season this year the flyers were just looking for a change obviously needed to make some cap changes as well eight and a quarter million and i kind of like chuck fletcher's viewpoint here we can't keep bringing back the same players and expect different results so uh they tried to you know, do a number of different things on their cap front. They traded a lot to get rid of Shane Gossespierre and his cap hit. They were trying at a certain point on James Van Riemsdyk and no one bit. And so Jake Voracek, they get a, a competent player in return and Cam Atkinson as well, a former 30-goal scorer who's got some spunk and some speed. Uh, he's a shorthanded goal specialist. And you know what I really like about this trade, uh, not just with no, no retained salary, Uh, it's a it's a salary cap wash uh, or real cash wash I should say for the Flyers and Blue Jackets but in a really awkward summer for James Van Riemsdyk he now gets a good buddy in Cam Atkinson that's come in and has sort of revived uh, a little bit of his interest there so you've got a goal scorer in JVR that stays in the fold uh, at a I think a pretty reasonable cap hit based on what he's historically provided and in Columbus as you said Jake Voracek he's a guy that You know, I think he's so underrated in terms of his ability to carry the puck into the zone on his own as a zone entry machine. He's one of the best in the league at that. I think sixth in the NHL in assist since the original trade to the Flyers. So, a pretty talented player that's going to be highly motivated.
1: Now you know that was the uh, the story. Of course, the, the big story really happened late in the first round. That a lot of people were surprised when the uh, the Montreal Canadiens uh, drafted uh, Logan Mayu, who of course had, he had tried to opt out. Now I know that legally you can't opt out of the draft, but were you surprised that Montreal chose him?
2: Not really surprised in the sense that I had heard early on Friday that there were a number of teams that were interested in taking Logan Mayu in the second round. And I think the Habs just jumped that and, and wanted to make sure that they got the guy that they wanted. But I I think it's been problematic from three perspectives and it's, you know, first and foremost is the victim. Uh, She's had her life turned upside down in the last 10 plus months here since the incident. Um, And I think in in a lot of ways for a player that a lot of people were expecting repercussions from, there are none because Logan Mayu, who some teams saw as a borderline first round player anyway, still ends up getting picked in the first round after this crime and paying the fine. Um, I think this does a disservice to Logan Mayu, the, the player and person, because he's now been forced to answer questions after renouncing himself from the draft and, you know, basically saying that he wasn't mature enough and didn't deserve this opportunity based on his transgression And then I think this also does a disservice to the Montreal Canadiens and their fan base and their brand. I mean, let's face it. They could have had this a lot better prepared than they did. You know, if you were to come out on Friday night and say, we're selecting Logan Mayu and these are the five steps that we're taking in our concrete action plan. We've thought this through. We've done our due diligence. Here's X, Y, and Z, what we're doing. And, and, and present that to everyone. I, I think, you know, at least people would be a little bit more comfortable with the idea of it, knowing that they were well-prepared. And I think the way that they've sort of willy-nilly gone about this since then, you know, not having that plan in place, still now just formulating it, I think they look like a team that was unprepared. And I think they've also done a disservice, you know, to their fan base as well, who have so many questions that haven't been answered. And you see the really awkward press conference from their chief scout uh, in Trevor Timmons, didn't end up being a good look for them.
1: No, not, not a good look. And it, it's funny, how you know, I, I think had he been in, in the second or third round, people would have changed because they felt like, well, because he wasn't taken in the first round, there were some consequences and you know, obviously he's dealt with it on, on a legal side and then it's still dealing with it. And, you know, that's his own issue, but uh, it, it is, it's fair to question, you know, Montreal, it's, it's like their competitive nature took over uh, rather than look at maybe what was optically the best thing to do.
2: Well, and you know what? I'm, I'm okay with that. Just come out and say it then. Um, because yeah, how, how do you think the New be England Patriots have been so successful? I mean, they took on players who had broken the law, uh, weren't going to be signed somewhere else and gave them a home and they've won Super Bowls because of it. Uh, Bill Belichick has been very transparent in just the fact that he's here to build a winner, not win press conferences. Um, and, and fans have gotten behind that. So uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's, you know, that just be clear in your objectives. And, and I think everyone can live and understand that, you know, that if that's the case, but instead, you know, they've sort of been half in half out. And this is one of those stories that you just can't do that with.
1: No, and it's definitely one where, you know, hopefully people learn from it and, and move forward to, you know, from what may you did, that was clearly uh, wrong from the get go. And, you know, you hope that, um, the, the, the young uh, woman involved here will, will be OK uh, long term from this. And you know, everybody in society just has to uh, reconsider some of their actions at times and look and say, hey, wait a sec. So, um, you know, there's definitely lots of people have to learn in the Montreal Canadiens. I agree with you, Frank, transparency on anything. If if, if we want to have tough conversations, then you have to start the conversation and open it rather than just say nothing, which ends up always, always being worse. Nowadays, more than ever, people like to communicate, so come on. And I I don't have to agree with you, but I'll respect you when you you give me what your plan is and what your ideals are on it. So uh, we'll kind of move from there. Now, free agency starts in two days on Wednesday, and you know there's lots of big names out there. You had your uh, free agent top 75 board at dailyfaceoff.com, and no surprise, Dougie Hamilton's right at the top of it. Uh, Who do you see? Do you have a few teams, Frank, that are – like front runners you think to land Dougie Hamilton? Cause everybody knows he's out there. I haven't seen a ton of, well, this guy's this team's an automatic fit. Where do you see him going?
2: Well, he's been already linked to New Jersey. And so that has to give me some sort of indication that at least the devils have at the very least, you know, put some feelers out there about their interest in Dougie Hamilton. And that's really kind of the tough part about talking about all this is that they're not supposed to like, this is, you know that's not within the rules, so let's just determine that before we go any further and just say that you know, whatever is said here or whatever has been reported out there, like there's pretty clear rules in place. There's no interview period this year. Dougie Hamilton's a little bit different since he was given permission, Zach Hyman was given permission to talk to other teams. So, um, Dougie Hamilton and, and Hyman are in a unique situation in that case. Patrick Nemeth, there's a report out there from Larry Brooks at the New York Post that the defenseman will ultimately be signing with the New York Rangers on Wednesday. A couple of the buyout guys, so if you hear their names connected to teams, Ryan Suter, Keith Yandel, Tony D'Angelo, they all are unrestricted free agents at the moment and can agree to terms but can't register the contract until Wednesday. So um, just set the, to set the ground rules from that perspective, uh, Dougie Hamilton, as you, as you pointed out, uh, linked to New Jersey, Uh, I wonder still about a team like Seattle, oodles of cap space. Uh, You know, this is the type of player that you would want to use it on, Um, you know, given his really unique and consistent offensive nature uh, and and something that they also just don't have an element that they don't have on their blue line at the moment. So I'd have to think about Seattle. Uh, It sounds like they touched base at some point during the exclusive window as well. Um, And yeah, Dougie Hamilton to me is sort of, Right at the top, and then a very close second is Gabriel Landeskog, and then there's probably a pretty significant drop off from there.
1: Well, it is fascinating. So let's start with the guys in, in Suter and Yandel, uh, Parise, uh, and you mentioned Tony D'Angelo. So three defensemen in a four who have already bought out. I think you know Perise is likely going to get the the lowest um, AAB amongst those players. And, you know, Ryan Suter, you know, that, that bio is still a little perplexing to me just because there's no savings really. And in, in, outside of year one for Minnesota, um, not, and, it's not perplexing
2: DeAn- for me. That was, really? a, that was a room cleanser is what that was. That was yeah, a, our okay. team is heading in a different direction. Ryan Suter, uh, quite clearly had the ear of the owner there. Some people called him Craig Leopold's best friend. I don't know how that always worked out with his teammates. And so, um you know some people think ryan Souter is a locker room lawyer a difficult guy to be around and that's why i'm really interested to see where he lands is it immediately with a cup contender uh he's been linked to dallas i know boston has interest florida has interest uh those are all teams that are in the mix for ryan Souter. and what kind of deal is he going to get is he going to get some term because i think everyone thinks he can still play a bit
1: oh i, I don't doubt he can play and it's funny you mention that, Frank, because the key thing is, you know, Suter, when he got all that big money from the owner, I think now that, you know, they're like, hey, you know, owner's probably talking to him a lot. Well, when he goes to a new team, that's not going to be the case. He's not going to have the big contract or anything. And, and you wonder how quickly he can adapt and, and be just, you know, another one of the guys in the room. And I, I think probably on a veteran team with a really strong leadership core in the locker room, it's a lot easier to uh, absorb a player like that in your room.
2: And that's why I think a team like a Boston would make a little bit more sense. You've got a Bergeron on who's been there forever that everyone looks up to um you know I, I think it might be a little bit more diff, difficult in Dallas um uh, not to say that Jamie Ben isn't a strong leader, but um you know, I just think it, it's different in Dallas um especially mm-hmm. with the young guys on their back end that really play a significant role like Amiro haskin and so does Ryan Souter overshadow any of that and and then how does he fit in there? And, and Florida, you know, I, I could see him fitting in in Florida as well. The team I'm fascinated by the most, Colorado. Because you got Landeskog,
1: Grubauer, and Brandon Saad. Those are three. They're rated second, third, and 11th on your uh, free agent 75 board, Frank. And, you know, obviously really good players. You know, Gabriel Landeskog, the captain, Saad came in and just does what he usually does, scores 20 goals and you know grinds it out with some good possession numbers. And Philip Grubauer had a breakout year. Like Colorado, they just signed Makar, and I like that contract for them. But man, you lose those three players, I'm kind of curious, well, who are you going to replace them with to remain competitive?
2: Yeah, I I still think Colorado's the odds-on favorite to keep Landeskog. I, I just... Like I said before on the pod, those guys have gone to some dark places in negotiations and have made it through to the other side. I'm not as sold about Grubauer because I think they're holding pretty firm knowing that they're probably going to have to pay Landeskog. And so my intel suggests that they've held really firm on Grubauer at five times five. And Grubauer thinks coming off of this or at least his camp thinks that coming off of this Vezina finalist season that he played so well, that he deserves to be somewhere in the sixes. Now, the only thing is, is that the numbers would suggest, based on recent comps, and I put this out there as I sized up the goalie market, which to me is so fascinating and we can dive into in a second, is the comps would suggest that Grubauer probably shouldn't be a penny over. Where Robin Leonard was last year with Vegas five times five, you look at right before they signed Robin Leonard same age twenty nine. Leonard played one hundred and thirty five games. Grubauer played one hundred and thirteen. Leonard's save percentage then nine nineteen. Grubauer nine eighteen. So, you know the comp would suggest that that's sort of the ceiling, which is why I understand why Colorado is held firm now with regards to sod, I don't see him coming back. Um, I I guess it's possible, but uh, I think a couple teams out West have been interested. Los Angeles would be one. Uh, He was mentioned with Pittsburgh. He's a Pittsburgh kid. Uh, That would be interesting. Um, And then I, you know, I think the rest of the field would be pretty open for Saad in terms of that scoring punch. And you said, who could they replace him with? One guy that I think they've been interested in is Jaden Schwartz. Now, a lot of people think Schwartz is a done deal to go to Seattle. I don't, think it's done yet but i think there was certainly a mutual flirtation process that went on during the exclusive window
1: yeah i'm i'm kind of intrigued to see what seattle does considering how cautious they were with cap space at the actual draft and save themselves a lot of room and you know, if um, and Ron Francis has talked about it a lot, I, I don't see him just spending like a crazed man by any stretch. But uh, I look at their lineup, especially up front, they got to get some other offensive guys if they truly want to be uh, competitive. But uh, Colorado and, and Scott, that does make sense. The goalie market is interesting because you know what? Uh, there's you know Toronto, uh, the Avalanche, of course. Um, you know who knows what Vegas is going to do? Although I wouldn't be surprised if they actually just stuck with their uh, with their two goaltenders. You know, Marazic's out there. The Buffalo Sabres clearly need goaltenders. Linus Olmark, Frank, is an interesting name because I could talk to Kevin Woodley and other guys and most believe he's the best goalie available. Yes. Obviously, there's a little bit of concern about injuries, but you know, Linus Olmark, I could easily see Colorado just going to Grubauer and saying, you know what? You don't want this? I think Linus Olmark would take it because there's nothing in Linus Olmark that suggests that he would be asking for six mil based on his uh, career and his, and his games played thus far.
2: Well, it's funny you said that, because I think that's exactly what Olmark is asking for. Um, My understanding is that his camp, the ask in Buffalo has been the Jacob Markstrom contract, six times six. So, I mean, if they were going to pay it, I would think that they would have already done it and he would be off the market. But it is fascinating to me that Buffalo still, and we mentioned this on the pod last week, is, you know, why did they protect Olmark? They must clearly think they could still get him. My sense going back to the trade deadline was that he was going to be testing the market. And so they've held off. I don't, I just don't see Omark landing in Colorado. If he hits the market, I think the team that has him circled is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I just think they can't afford necessarily even to get to five times five based on the other guys that they uh, have on their roster based on their cap situation. And, and based on, you know, guys that, you know, they want to still other positions they need to fill out. Toronto's a tough one for me because I just I don't
1: see how they have the money Frank I I agree with you wholeheartedly there there would have to be some other moves uh to be made and maybe that's why they're holding firm to try to get any sort of pick from Edmonton uh so that to get the uh, the eight-year deal because maybe they can get more assets uh, even if they're late ones to try to you know trade some players off and add picks to ship some guys out of town with contracts because uh, I think they're holding
2: firm on the Hyman thing though yeah no that's what I mean they're holding firm but
1: you know, but they're they not going to just
2: take a, a late sixth or seventh round pick to make it happen.
1: Yeah, no. And, and there's the argument. I see where he's like, I see both sides of that. You're like, I can take a pick. It's not going to be until 2022. That picks, you know, five years at best before it plays. Even, Dubas might not even be the GM in six years, like the NHL, like how many guys are GMs for a decade realistically. So I can see his reasoning to say, I'm not going to help Edmonton, even though they're not in our division anymore. They're not in our conference. You know what? If I save them 400 or 450k in cap space every year, you know that's a benefit. There's really little benefit for our, for our team uh, to do it. But at the same time, you know what? I, I see Toronto, and if they're not bringing Anderson back, and you've reported, it and a few others have said there really hasn't been any serious talk there. How do they get a goalie upgrade? Um, because as good as Jack Campbell was for them, Frank, I'm I'm not sold that, that those numbers are repeatable.
2: It's not even that the numbers are repeatable. He just doesn't scream. This is a team that, you know, he's going to lead us to a playoff series win. Like it it just, he does, he doesn't inspire that, that confidence, that really good feeling, um, you know, in your chest that you need when you're, you have a team, he battles, he's a great story. He's a nice guy. He's all those things, you know, repeatability is one and, and two is just, Does he inspire the confidence? Is he the big name? Is he the splash that you need? And in the same exact breath, I I don't know how they could possibly go back to Freddie Anderson in that sense. I think he's a fourth, fifth, sixth option for them. And we'll see where he goes. Does he end up in Carolina? What, you know, what are the canes? Do they need a, uh, they need a starter and a backup. I am still scratching my head over the Nadelkovich thing. I, I, in a way I admire Carolina and we've had, uh, Don Waddell on to talk about their path and and how they see things, but that kid's good. He just is. And, and they, they love him. His teammates love him. Ned, uh, he's a competitor and he wins. He's won a Calder cup. He was a homegrown guy. Like if you go back and you look, this smells like a Jason Greger story. And I was thinking about this over the weekend because you've been so good at historically looking back on, on trends and things that have happened. Almost every guy that's won the Stanley cup, the last, Decade plus is a homegrown goalie. I mean, mm-hmm. you go back, you look at Vasilevsky, you look at Bennington, every single year, Holtby. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it, what it, Matt Murray. Uh, I'm just trying to go back in my head and think about the last Cup winners. Corey Crawford was. Uh, that's yeah. 2015. 14 was Jonathan Quick. He yeah. was 13. Crawford in again is, yeah. the last, is the last. The last one Boston. that wasn't. Yeah, they've yeah. all Tim been Thomas. homegrown. So why'd you trade? Uh, why'd you trade Nadelkovic? To, well, maybe they
1: feel that he's not their guy, uh, obviously, because if, the funny thing is, you know, and you had reported that, you know, he was asking for 3.5. Well, he ends up selling for 3 million. And I'm just like, well, 3 million, it's not even a number that seems outlandish to, to sign him for. That's, that's the part that's kind of perplexing to me. So I don't know, maybe their scouts feel that he's just, uh, he, he's going to get exposed, which, Seems a little odd to me. And like now, if they re-sign Bernier, right? Or I shouldn't say resign. If they sign Bernier, at least then I'm like, okay, well, they got Bernier and they got a pick Fernadelkovich. And while Bernier is definitely older, if they feel like Bernier put up some pretty good numbers on a bad Detroit team the last year. He, few years, he, he people, did. You you wonder that if on a team like Carolina, and that's the other thing, Frank, like you look historically at Carolina men, they're such a good possession team. You wonder how guys are going to do outside? Like it's funny when you look at possession numbers on players and how vastly they can change. Ben Chariot's a prime example. From Winnipeg, you look at his numbers, then you go to Montreal, massive difference, right? Like a lot of it can be
2: who you're playing with and the system you're playing. So, um, uh, for, first of- off, I would say Ben Ben Chariot is just a good player, uh, and yeah, I no, think the Jets would be the first to tell you that they really missed him. But um, let me tell you how they went through this with Nedeljkovic he asked for three, five, and they were willing to give him one, seven, five. Now my understanding is that's what they're trying to pigeonhole Jonathan Bernier in at one, seven, five. And if you're Bernier, like, why would you have any reason to take it? I mean, you could go somewhere else. I I listed all the teams as we're sizing up the goalie market, all the ones that are looking for backups. I mean, the list is pretty significant. Calgary, Nashville, New Jersey, Philly, Tampa Bay, and Washington. Then you could also have Vancouver, if Koskinen doesn't come back to to Edmonton, the Oilers, and you know all those teams, the Flyers and the Devils specifically are looking for well-established veterans to pair up with Carter Hart and Mackenzie Blackwood. So that's a lot of options to say, I'm just going to take 175 to be on your team. Well, Carolina, they have tons of cap space now. That you know they've got some guys. You know,
1: that like Dougie Hamilton, maybe they can get him back. But, you know, I doubt they don't have a lot of they've got most of their big players, you know, signed. Now they've got to get Svechnikoff and Fogel under contract. And so, you know, I think those those are definitely doable contracts. But is Carolina. Frank, are they just playing that the, they believe that they're going to go? Are they going to make a pitch for Allmark or Grubauer here and nobody's talking about it? And suddenly they swoop in because they clearly need a starter.
2: I don't think so. I don't. I think their mantra is just that they're not paying a goaltender big money. They think the position is volatile. They think that from year to year it changes uh, in terms of stability, and that you could essentially flip a coin. That I, you know, my guess is, and and maybe they blow this all out of the water, and I look like an idiot reading the tea leaves. I, I think that they they want to spend as little on goaltending as possible. That they think that they could get just as much from someone in the $3 million range as they could someone in the $6 million range and that that's their play. It's
1: going to be fascinating to to watch because, man, like they've been a really good team for a long time. And um, we all know that come playoff time, the goaltending position is ultra important. So even if you think it's volatile, you better get one that you believe can play in the postseason. Uh, Otherwise, you virtually have no chance. Now, moving to uh, to the blue line, Frank, we've talked a lot about Dougie Hamilton, and he's obviously a big one. Tyson Berry's an intriguing name. Now, I know the orders in him have, have talked contra. I just Tyson Berry, when you've got Ethan Bear and Evan Bouchard, I don't think all three of those guys on the right side makes a lot of sense, right? Edmonton also doesn't have a ton of cap space. Um, I think Berry would like longer term here a little bit. Uh, Seattle's got a ton of defensemen. What what, do, what are your thoughts? Where do you think do you see a fit for Tyson Berry?
2: I mean, I do see a fit for Tyson Barry in Edmonton. Uh, I think the Oilers are interested. I think Barry is interested. And I don't know that the term is exactly what you might think it would need to be. I think Tyson Barry, you could get him for three times 5.25. And I think it it, it can flex based on the type of term that you want to give him. If you give him a fourth year, you could probably slide the number down a little bit, maybe to five, four times five is 20. Or if you want to go two years, you could probably get him at six. Um, That's my guess sort of on how things have played out to this point. And I, like I said, I think the interest is mutual. Um, I think they would be working hard to try and get him. Um, I think there's other teams though, that want him. I, you know, I know the Calgary flames are looking for a left shot defenseman. They're pretty well set up on the right side, but, They also don't have anyone to really run their power play efficiently. So I could see Calgary being interested. Uh, I I think Florida is also looking for a power play guy to kind of do what Yandel did. Um, You know, and and so I think those are sort of some of the options. And then I I think Seattle would also make a lot of sense for a Tyson Barry as well, because they don't have that element that we were just talking about. Yeah,
1: the problem with Fermenton, they basically now. I'm assuming James Neal gets bought out. Now I know the orders had some trade talks with some teams, and you know I, I, I'm not going to pretend to know how close it was. All I know is that whatever trade talk they were having kind of went by the wayside on the weekend. So you know maybe they'll try to fire that back up. Tomorrow's the deadline that you can waive him and buy him out. Now technically, they could use the second window if Cooper Marodi falls for arbitration. That would that would be the only way. He's the only uh, RFA eligible for arbitration so i think it's more likely neil's bought out but that means they got 10 million dollars basically for four players if you get barry even five mil right even if you get him at five now you got to fill out a left defenseman a third line center and a left winger for five mil like i just that's pretty tough to do uh if, unless you think you're going to go bargain hunting and get some really quality players that at 1.5 mil
2: well i think that's sort of the market that they would be looking in um and look, who knows what kind of, you know, what what they could dig up. I mean, you saw Patrick Nemeth. He was much further down on my board. He was 49th. He made $3 million last year, and it sounds like from the New York Post that he's going to come in somewhere between 2 and 2 five. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know what they do on the left side. You know, who are some of the guys that they might be looking at, and then if they don't go after – um, if they don't get Tyson Barry, like wh- what, are they looking at? Um, you know, by the way, Derek Forboard, I saw he was linked to Boston. He would make sense as a, as a left shot guy yeah. that actually had a really good year in Winnipeg. I'm just scrolling through my list here. Um, Ian Cole, um, yeah, um, you know, John Merrill, I don't, I, I don't think that he makes any sense. Um, I think a guy that, you know, by the way, as I was making this list, check out number 42, Yanni. Hackenpaw teams love oh, I him
1: looked, i looked into him um scouts tell me you know big body physical that they're worried about you know how quick he computes the game or not but i, I have not heard like- that
2: at all what i heard jay okay. was that he doesn't make mistakes he's pretty steady and competent he doesn't give up home runs um and then there was the kulakov option but you know I mean no. Kulikov to me seems to have run his course almost everywhere he's been.
1: Yeah, the thing with Kulikov is he can play really well, but then he's prone to that big ten bell uh, error that, that ends up in the back of your net. I will say you mentioned Derek Forbort. The reason I like Derek Forbort, there's a few. Number one, he can play left or right, and I think versatility on the back end is huge. And another guy who I would uh, I would link potentially to Edmonton, Frank, is Tucker Pullman. Now Tucker Pullman, you know what? Because did you know he played 44% of his time against the lead forwards last year? Now, mm-hmm. he's paired with Josh Morrissey, right? And he's one of those guys that doesn't maybe get a lot of talk. But if you're a defenseman who can, who can just kind of eat minutes, right, and especially if you can hold your own against uh, the top-end players, there, there's definitely value in that. And the other right defenseman that I think actually would make sense for Edmonton, because I did a comparison, over the last two seasons, Cody Cece and Adam Larson have basically played identical minutes five on five. Seventeen eighty six for Larson, seventeen seventy nine. Like a difference of seven minutes. Um, Cece actually has better possession numbers in all of those. Now Larson's more physical, and Larson had more defensive zone starts, right? Um, Cece actually played more time in the penalty kill, but gave up more goals. Edmonton's penalty kill has been pretty good. I I wouldn't be like Cody Cece for years. Like his numbers, his his uh, analytics numbers were off. Right. And, and he was making like four mil. But at one point two five, Frank, like Cody is a player. I think teams are going to look at and say, hey, we don't want this guy to have to play a lot of tough defensive zone minutes. But he can he can still minutes for you at not a big cost. And he's a big body who doesn't get injured a lot. Um, those are the I think, you know, Edmonton's looking to find a right and a left defenseman to kind of split the minutes of Larson. Because I don't see one guy on the free agent market who t- who, who's as physical, blocks all the shots, does everything. Now, Dougie Hamilton obviously does, but he's in a mm-hmm. different category, right? And so I think when you, when you look for certain teams like Edmonton, the Larson created a pretty big hole. So they have to try to find two guys to fill because while well, they like Chris Russell, Chris Russell at this stage is probably a 50-game guy because he gets hurt because he's blocking shots with his face and his ankles and everywhere else. And, you know, he's a smaller guy. I think he breaks down. I think that's what they want. And I'm and I'm also intrigued to look at the third line center because there's a lot of teams out there. And Nick Bonino, I know you have him, Frank, at number 39. I want to talk about the centers because you have Deneau, uh well up there, as you should. He's at number seven. You know, Winberg from Florida, you have him at number 13. Paul Stashnew, I haven't heard a lot about, who can still play, is, is a guy and. I was surprised that you actually had Benino and Halla below Glenn Denning because I think Glenn Denning's basically a four. He's a specialist. He's a good four, but Halla and Benino at least have the potential to give you some offense in the three hole.
2: I understand where you're coming from. I think um, I think Glenn Denning's a guy where the phone's just been ringing off the hook. Um, I think you know just to address some of the names you brought up. I think Paul Stastny's got a lot of game left. Uh, I really do. Um, And I think when you look at Wenberg, he had a fantastic offensive season. He actually remains in talks with Florida. They're trying to find a way to keep him and bring him back. 16 goals in 55 games, basically a career year in that sense, uh, on a one-year deal after being bought out. And so uh, he's looking to get paid. I think teams that have evaluated Wenberg, though, say that he is basically Alex Kerfoot in terms of what you can actually expect to get from him in production. Um, you know, sort of in that 10 to 12, 13, 14 goal range. He's not gonna come back and score 16 again, just had a really good year. And the other center you mentioned was Deneau. I mean, Dano's cashing in as the premier sort of defensive center on the market. So he's gonna get well paid. Um and, you know, it's funny, like another guy that hasn't really received a ton of, uh, a ton of publicity that, you know, I think can come in and really have a dynamic season on a one year deal is David Krejci. Um, A lot of teams were saying to me, I'd rather have David Krejci on a one year deal rather than Alex Wenberg on a four-year deal and, and see if I can figure out, you know, get another 40, 50-point season out of, uh, out of David Krejci. So there hasn't been a lot of talk about him going back to Boston. He's been there 15 years, almost 1,000 games with one team. Um, you know, he's another guy on that center market that's interesting.
1: Last year we saw Tyson Berry have to sign kind of that show-me contract. Played very well, worked out on the power play in Edmonton. You also had Mike Hoffman, similar. Now he got four mil, but a short-term deal. Do you? Are there players that you get a sense in conversations that are high on your list, but might have to settle for that short-term contract?
2: I mean, Tony D'Angelo is the obvious one at number 12, right? Um, you know, he's going to have lots of options. I think... His preference would be to get some term so that he doesn't sort of have to go through this again. But I think any team that's looking at him that needs to get a green light from ownership in order to sign him based on his past transgressions in his career that they're saying, we don't want the risk. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll sign him for one year and see how it goes to sort of prove me contract, but it prove it contract. If he can come in though and put up another 50 plus point season and help a team win a couple of rounds in the playoffs, well, then Tony D'Angelo is going to bounce back as a $6 million defenseman somewhere. So he's young, still just 25 uh, has a lot, you know, has some growing up to do and, Um, you know, I hope he's taken the last six months, uh, since he was exiled from the Rangers to do that. But it's interesting though, about a guy like Hoffman, because Hoffman was on the block of the trade deadline, didn't get traded, came in on a one-year deal and scored 17 goals in 49 games that equates out to somewhere around 27 in a normal 82 game season. So right in the usual Mike Hoffman special, the typical year. And it's funny because, Hoffman actually really grew on the blues in the last half of the season after the deadline, the last third of the season, they felt like he dug in a lot and they were like, Oh, they totally changed their opinion of him. And I think as we get close to the deadline here, the, to the, to the market opening, the blues are right in the mix to re-sign him to a longer term deal uh, where he might actually end up getting a raise on his AAV uh, which is interesting enough. So, you know, I think the blues and, and Hoffman continue to talk, uh, and he's a really interesting guy moving forward.
1: Uh, another player who I believe might be in that category of a show me contract, who I think will give you good value is Thomas Tatar. Thomas Tatar, the last three NHL seasons is 22nd in the entire league at five on five scoring. And when you look at value players who can contribute, he's got excellent possession numbers, five on five. I know he didn't play in the postseason, And I think that that's probably going to hurt. Thomas Tatar in his negotiations because recency bias is a legit thing. People are going to look at it. They're going to look at his, his career in the playoffs and say, ah, oh, geez, he hasn't done a lot. I'm telling you, if you're a team that needs help five on five scoring, Thomas Tatar is a guy I'm looking at all day long. Because when you're, to- and and he's 22nd, Frank, on a team, and I, I really like Phil Deneau, but no one really associates Phil Deneau as like a dominant um offensive center he's a good five on five player right and Gallagher maybe it was just a good combination of the three of them but man I think a one-year bet on Thomas Tatar I've said it like the team you know Emmonton would be ideal now they've got Hyman and Nugent Hopkins so if you get Tatar then you would probably move Nugent Hopkins to your third line center which I'm not sure they you know they I think they'd ideally like to just keep him on the wing and get a third line center who can compete with Ryan McLeod mm-hmm. but you know Edmonton is, I think there's an option there to go with two left wingers and a center, but I really like him as a surprise. And the other guy that you have way down on your list is Sean Corrales out of Boston, Frank. And there, there's just a lot of little nuances about his game. I think that's a player who I'm kind of surprised hasn't resigned. but there's a lot like he's a bottom six forward on your team, no question, but I think Sean Corrales can, can, can get you really good value in the free agent market. So I want your thoughts on him and the one guy who everybody thought was going to resign in New York. And yet to have not is
2: Casey Suzekus. what happened to him? Yeah, I don't know what happens to Casey Suzekus. you know I just in in calling around to you know GMs and agents over the last you know few days, someone said Casey Suzikus was looking for five million dollars and I was like five million dollars. like really? It, you know <laughs> I, I get that he's got a twenty 20 goal season on his resume. I get that he's been a valuable part of what the New York Islanders have been building, but my God, that feels like a lot of money. And again, I say that not knowing if it's accurate, um, but just as a disclaimer, but that was the chatter. And I was like, huh, that's a lot. I agree with you on Corrali. And I also like about him is that having watched the the Bruins playoff runs pretty closely uh, when they got to the final in 19, like he was a pretty big part of their success. Um, in terms of that, that grind that they had to your team coming at, uh, you know, playing against teams coming at you in waves. He was a big part of that. So uh, I could see Corrali certainly having some value. And by the way, um, another guy that I think has interest and a lot of people think is going to Seattle, pierre Edward Belmar. I think I view him in that same category, the sort of Prototypical bottom six forward, energy, pretty consistent in terms of production and goals. Um, and I want it just to close the loop on the conversation we were having about stylistic fits um, for a team like the Oilers and what they're looking for on their back end is Zach Bogosian. Now, I'm told Zach Bogosian is not going to play in Canada. He wants to stay in the U.S. To go with another Gregor theme from a couple of weeks ago about Canadian teams having a really hard time signing U.S. players he is off the list for the Canadian teams. Even yeah, after makes, after a good season in Toronto.
1: Yeah, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one other team, the Vancouver Canucks. They made a huge trade, of course, and, and I don't think there's any question that their team has infinitely improved their talent for this year. If you're concerned about Oliver ekman Larson's long-term contract, okay, that's valid. But the two players they got from Arizona are much better than the three players they shipped out. And the cap hits, right now going to be very similar. So I, I think for the, for the first year, there's a no brainer to me in Vancouver, but what about Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen? Frank, What like do you think a three and four year deal is, is ultimately here? Or are they going to get these guys signed long-term?
2: My guess is that they both sort of end up in that bridge territory. I don't know what the real incentive is to sign long-term, like get a little bit of piece of security. Now, something that makes you comfortable that, you know, you can probably, you know, if you know everything were to go awry that you could end up retiring and not have to work again, but hold out, you know, give yourself some time to really bounce back, uh, especially after, you know, a little bit of a down year for Hughes. Um, and obviously the injuries that popped up with Pedersen play, you know, play the long game. If, you know, if, if I were the agent to those two guys, that's what I would be sort of preaching. Um, you know, and it is interesting about the Canucks, though. Like, what do they do with Nate Schmidt? Does, do they find a trade partner for him? What's going on with Braden Hopi? I was told on Sunday that it was either we're trading you or buying you out, so it seems like he's not coming back. So what do they do with the backup position on their team? And they've just got a lot of forwards to figure out. They've got eight guys under contract for next season, and that includes Highmore, Moore, McEwen, and and Nils Hoaglander. so like they've they've got some work to do to to fill out their roster and and uh, a little bit of flexibility, but not a ton given the contracts that need to get signed for Pedersen Hughes.
1: We heard lots of scuttlebutt for two months about the Calgary Flames and that they were going to you know we, now they lost Giordano, it's a pretty big name to uh, Seattle in the expansion draft, but haven't seen a move. Uh, has it gone quiet? Is Calgary going to bring back their
2: same core group again? I think they'd like to make a change. I think they've been talking to teams. I I think they've been investigating what the market is like for Johnny Gaudreau. And I think after seeing what that was like, my sense is that now in the beginning of this week before free agency opens is that they're circling back to the Gaudreau camp to find out what it would cost to get an extension done. Now, I do think Calgary is, is really working hard on the defense market. Uh, they're they're like I said, the right side of their D is pretty shored up with Anderson and Tanev, uh, but they're looking for some help on the left side to play with, you know, Hamilton's there or sorry, Hannafin, excuse me, uh, slip of the tongue there because man, it would still look pretty good if Dougie Hamilton was there. Um, Hannafin is on their left side, and then you've got Valimaki and Shillington. Uh, Connor Mackey's a young guy that they think could be something someday, but um you know they're definitely looking on the left side of their defense they're looking for uh that sort of third fourth line center position uh, you know i still think that there's probably some change coming but i'm a little bit surprised that it hasn't happened yet and that could be one of those deals that maybe goes down later in the summer
1: tampa bay lightning here we are and uh technically right now today frank under now, the cap we got uh, yeah, they're under the cap. Granted, they've only got 17 players signed, so they're going to have to sign some. But you know, it looks like they already lost Gaudreau. Uh Blake Coleman. You know, it's, you have him uh, very high in your list. I think he'll be highly sought after by a lot of different teams. But you know, they've Six got their top five. five. Yeah, they've got their top five defenseman. They got their goaltender. They obviously need a backup. But is Tyler Johnson, Palat, or um, um, Alex Kalorn? Like, it would still seem that one of those guys is going to go just to free up some cap space, you know, to fill out other parts of the roster at, at, at you know, a million dollars for three or four guys. What do you see Bois doing? And, uh, you know, how how patient can he be? Are teams just waiting to see what happens in free agency? And then once they don't land their guy, they'll go to Tampa and say, hey, we'll take this guy off your hands. And, uh, you know, for a sixth or a seventh or whatever.
2: Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to do is move Tyler Johnson. Um, he's the guy that's been circled for a long time. Everyone knows that he went through waivers twice last year without being plucked. And it's really the three years left on his deal that are, are inhibiting the transaction. Um, but they're still very much in, in wind mode. And by the way, I checked in cause there's always rumor and speculation and innuendo. What's going on with Steven Stamkos. Obviously, a lot of tread on, um, you know, the tread is worn, I should say on his tires. And he's been dealing with, you know, feel, feels like injury after injury. Uh, but Steven Stamkos isn't going anywhere. Uh, the lightning have not at any point approached him about any sort of transaction or, or waving his no move clause. So that's not on the table. So I wanted to put that to bed because for whatever reason it, it, it's always talked about as everyone is thinking, you know, what did the lightning do to try and create and free up some flexibility? And I think on the back end, they're approaching a few team, a few free agents or will about the idea of taking that sort of short one-year deal, come in and prove it here and cash in somewhere else, kind of like a Kevin Shattenkirk did. So um, I, I one name that I have written down with a question mark in my book is Keith Yandel. Does Keith Yandel make sense um, for their back end on a, on a short one-year uh, low-money deal to come in and try and win a cup?
1: Hmm. Interesting.
2: Uh the, there are two other teams
1: that, you know, older teams that you know have got a lot of big contracts. The Washington Capitals and the San Jose Sharks. You know, a, a lot of people felt like just based on his numbers that Martin Jones would kind of be prime for a buyout at 5.75 for three years remaining. And you know, it, it definitely lowers the hit quite a bit. They brought in Aiden Hill, who they still have to sign. You know, I've heard some talks though that Martin Jones is off season training, kind of getting back. He kind of went away from some of the technical stuff that you should do. And then maybe he's getting back Do the sharks. Are they just doing what Edmonton is and wait until the last possible moment to buy out Jones? Or do you think they might go with the Jones Hill tandem? And if so, uh, what type of trades, if any, are we going to see out
2: of San Jose? Uh, Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, look, I, I I really don't know what the sharks are doing. Um, They haven't, to this, to this point, to my knowledge, engaged on, you know, whether or not they're going to buy out Jones. Like to me, you can say a lot of things about Martin Jones, but goddamn, has he been consistent the last three straight seasons at an 896 save percentage identical in each of those three years, 62 games, 41 games and 34 games. That's like a hundred and whatever that comes out to 137 straight games at an 896 save percentage. Like that's unbelievable. Um, and I, I just I, I can't believe that they haven't tried to move on from one of their big three defensemen on the back end, Carlson, Burns, or Vlasic. I I honestly, you know, it sounds funny to say, but like obviously the Carlson deal is so incredibly damaging with his eleven five hit. But man, five years left of Mark Edward Vlasic till he's thirty nine. That hurts too. Like they're like they're all pretty painful in their own way and and they still haven't found a way to surround those guys properly with you know some depth on the on to assist them even though I guess they should be theoretically carrying themselves.
1: Yeah like I look at Washington and you know when you see they've got to sign Ovechkin and you know we're hearing pretty big numbers for Obi so they're gonna have to shed some salary and you know a lot of people think Nick Jensen makes sense. You know he's a two point five cap
2: hit. They've been trying uh, to move Nick Jensen for two and a half years.
1: Yeah. And so it's easier said than done. And, and you wonder, you know, did, do they maybe surprise people? And, you know, Justin Schultz, is, who's got one year at $4 million, because they're going to have to move out someone, Frank. There's just the money doesn't work uh, unless Obi's going to shock us all and take uh, way below what uh, the expectations are and what he's going to take. And, you know, like you're hearing, you know, $9 million and potentially maybe more. So even if he goes to 8 million, Washington's got to move some guys.
2: I'd be surprised personally if his deal is not eight figures um, the rumor the latest one was three times ten uh, I heard that his initial ask was 125 and that they had ballparked or budgeted 115 to see him go down to nine or ten like I, I don't see him taking a pay cut based on how productive and consistent he's been um, yeah you're right the back end is awful crowded when you look at slotting players out properly. Uh, commensurate to cap hit Kempney's coming off of his injury. Brendan Dillon is incredibly popular and they could find that'd be the easiest guy to find a landing spot for, but are you making your team worse and moving Dillon and Schultz? Of course, the fact that they exposed him in the expansion draft probably gives you an indication as to, even though he had a productive season, 27 points in 46 games that he could be a guy that could go as well. Now, Frank, uh, just for fun, we're actually, uh, we're going to do rapid fire with you today. A little bit of free agent
1: rapid fire brought to you by DoorDash, the proud sponsor of the Daily Faceoff as well as the Nation Network of Podcasts, restaurants, and other food delivered right to your door. And right now, if you're a first-time user of the app, you can get the, download the DoorDash app, and you will get 25% off and no delivery fees. All you have to do is use the promo code RUNDOWNDD. That's Rundown DD. Get the uh, DoorDash. App to your phone, deliver Popeyes Louisiana chicken, Frank. You used it the other day, the ripped chicken. It's unreal. Got it through DoorDash. All right. So we're going to have a little fun and rapid fire today, Frank. Uh, no personal questions because I already know enough about you. So uh, I want to get to uh, some fun ones as far as which player do you believe is going to who everybody thinks is going to be a big time signer ends up having to wait and doesn't sign until day five, six, or seven, and ends up taking a short-term deal.
2: Hmm. Mm. There's nothing rapid about this rapid fire. I'm going to say David Savard. Ooh, I like that one. Okay. Um, ultimately, which
1: goalie is starting the season in Carolina? Freddie Anderson. Who will be the starting goaltender
2: in Colorado? Philip Grubauer.
1: Okay. I like it. Um, one last one for you. You mentioned David Krejci. Like there was all the talk, him and Tuka Rath. Are we seeing the changing of the guard in Boston, or do one or both return on a on a short term lower AAB?
2: Well, Rask is out until twenty twenty two. So my guess is they try and start the year with Swayman and Vladar. And then, you know, if they need to bring back Rask at a certain point that they do, but Rask doesn't have any interest in playing anywhere else, so I don't think he's going to be signing anywhere else. It's either Boston or that's it.
1: Okay.
2: Krejci? Krejci, I think. I think he goes somewhere else. Why wouldn't they have already gotten it done?
1: And uh, you've been all over the story from uh, from day one. So give me your best guess on who signs Tony D'Angelo.
2: The Toronto Maple Leafs.
1: It's a little rapid fire brought to you by DoorDash. Now, Frank, before we go, um, uh, a few other quick ones. Uh, Jake Vertanen, of course, is is now a free agent. Um, You know, his, his agent was uh, was on uh, with Rick Dollywall talking about uh, on on their podcast out of Vancouver, and how it was maybe a combination of obviously his off ice issues and then his on ice play. How do you view this? Where, where do you see the NHL and you know our teams going to be leery of Vertanen?
2: Well, I think they should just be leery based on his play. Jake Vertanen doesn't have the hockey IQ or hockey sense to really be an impact player on any team, so. I think that's what's holding him back more than his off-ice transgressions which should still be questioned anyway.
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's totally fair. Now, one other one, when you look at we've had it, you know, there's some pretty big names that have been traded. We saw Seth Jones. Now they got the Jones brothers in Chicago, OEL and uh, Garland went to uh, Arizona. The Philadelphia Flyers have been just wheeling and dealing all over the place. But here we are, no Jack Eichel. What's your latest on Jack Eichel and uh, what happened with him?
2: Man was Kevin Adams press conference telling what's going on with Jack Eichel and his health. And they got like a shrug. Like it was like, don't almost saying don't, don't know, don't care. Uh, I didn't want to overstate it last time and say, I I think I said there was a 0.0% chance Jack Eichel starts training camp with the Sabres I don't want to increase it to 0.1%. I did wonder as the week went on and we got through the draft and and Jack Eichel wasn't traded. um, I just think the ask is so high that Buffalo is going to have to – they're going to have to take less in order to make it happen.
1: It's going to be fantastic, Frank. Uh, We looked at free agency. And, uh, of course, uh, when we uh, reconvene, I'll get my uh, video stuff fixed and uh, so you can see my pretty face and I can see yours. And uh, we'll have some guests uh, breaking down free agency on Friday. Uh, enjoy the week.
2: Not going to lie. Wasn't that bad not seeing you.
0: Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Voli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.
2: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quint.